0: Let's take up the subject of evangelism. Christians talk about evangelism, how to do it, what to say, strategies, etc. Well, let's take a different angle. Let's think about evangelism from the perspective of an unbeliever. If an unbelieving person asked you, why do you evangelize, what would you say? Is evangelism offensive? Is the evangelist pretty much just like any other door-to-door salesman? Or is he different? The topic of the day on this edition of Craving Answers, Craving God is evangelism. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. You can access this episode as well as all of our other episodes from our website, glencarbon. Org. Aaron, on the subject of evangelism, do you think most of our listeners today are enthusiastic, detached, or uncomfortable? Most of our listeners.
1: Well, I'd say by far most of our listeners are uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable with evangelism. I think most of us look uncomfortable. Oh, not not right now. I'm pretty comfortable right now, but I'm not evangelizing right now. Uh, most of us are really, really uncomfortable with evangelism. Uh, people who want to evangelize, whatever it is they're trying to evangelize, you, you know, their, their, their religion or their political viewpoints. And uh, most people are uncomfortable being evangelized, being trying to convince. To, and a lot of that goes back to, and we've talked a lot in here before about the world that we live in in the West now is, as described by the great Christian thinker Francis Schaefer, uh, we live in a two story world now. Uh, we, we, Since the 1700s, we've come to believe that there are two ways that we – there are two ways that human beings' brains work. And one is faith, and and the other way is science or reason. And the things that happen on the science side of your brain, the things that you can know because you've personally experienced them or because you've done lab studies or because they're printed in the National Geographic magazine – those sorts of things are public and accessible and you can talk about those with anybody this is a lot of times why we talk about the weather and these sorts of things is because they're commonly shared everybody agrees about them and even if you know if somebody says well it's cold outside today and some well it's, it feels pretty good to me we all kind of know what's going on there the other side of our uh, uh, the other the other side of our brain the, the way we know stuff is through faith and in this category Schaefer says you put opinions uh, ideological positions like political beliefs, religious beliefs. These things are strictly private and are not to be, they're not to walk downstairs and go out into the street. They are the upstairs views. You are free to have them. Uh, but Don't talk not, about do, religion. Don't yes, talk about politics. Exactly. These are things that are completely off topic in ways that uh, were never, were, were never the case uh, before in the world, except in the West for the past 300 years. And so we're all very, very uncomfortable. In fact, I've, it's, it's not uncommon for me to have conversations with Christians, people who I consider to be uh, fairly serious Christians. And uh, well, to be honest, a lot of times these conversations have happened with students too, but students who are Christians, who, who are confessing Christians who will say, I believe in Christianity. I think it's true. I don't think I have any right to tell anybody else that they should believe in it though. And that's that classic contemporary two-story view that Francis Schaeffer's talking about, which makes it so hard and so uncomfortable to talk, to, to, to do evangelism or to receive evangelism.
0: So if most of the people we're talking to today are a little uncomfortable with this subject, then I can, it doesn't, it's not very hard for me to think about being in that situation where, okay, this is uncomfortable, but We're going to learn something about evangelism. We're going to go to a seminar. We're going to watch a video online or something like that. And it seems to me like the dynamic there is, we know you're uncomfortable, but here's how you push through that in order to be faithful and share the gospel. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever seen or heard anybody discuss with Christian people who are feeling uncomfortable with evangelism. How does the unbeliever feel? Right. When when you bring your discomfort yeah. and your your salesmanship to this question. I'm not even sure where we start there. Can do you can you relate oh, to yeah. the uh
1: unbeliever who is on the receiving end of this activity? For sure. I, I th- and I think that we all can. I every one of us has been evangelized uh you know, we've somebody's posted something on social media that's goes against our own political beliefs and it's pretty strident, you know, and, uh, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an even better example. This happened about uh, four or five years ago uh, at my house. It's Thanksgiving morning and Thanksgiving morning is kind of a ritual at my house. It's, uh, we usually have our family over that day. And so there's a lot of getting ready, a lot of f- food cooking and, um, My son and I were in our living room and our living room faces, uh, you know, faces the street outside of our house. And we had the windows open. uh, I mean, the shades open, I should say. And we saw driving slowly down the street, a car (laughs) with a group of people inside the car. I think there was three people slowly driving down the street and looking up at each house as they passed by. And when they got to our house, uh, they looked up at us and we sort of made eye contact with them through the window. And they pulled up into our driveway, and I told my son, I said to Harry, I said, oh, these people, they must need directions. You know, they're kind of looking around for us. Well, they didn't need directions. Uh, they were Jehovah's Witnesses, and they were looking for a house on Thanksgiving morning to stop by and talk about their religion. And yeah, uh, I'm a postmodern guy. I, I'm... Unlike my grandparents, I'm not that comfortable with people I don't know coming up on my porch to talk to me. In fact, if you're dropping off a package, UPS man, I'd prefer you just to drop it off and leave it there and then walk away and I'll come get it later. Don't ring my doorbell. I don't want to have a conversation that, that may be right. That may be wrong. That's just the way I am. They came up to the door and they rang the bell and I thought, well, I'll go, you know, help them out, give them directions. And they get into their spiel. And I instantly was angry. And again, I am not, I'm not justifying this. I'm not saying I should have been angry, but I think it was natural that I was angry, given who I am and given the situation. And the reason why I was angry was because this was a holiday and maybe they don't observe that holiday, but this was a holiday for me and my family. And they had absolutely zero interest in that. They had zero. In fact, they had zero interest in me as a person. They were out there doing their job, which was to dump their religious message on people, and I happened to get in the way that morning, and it was deeply offensive to me. And that helps me think about the way that we Christians can come across sometimes to unbelievers when we, I mean, and I'm sure we're going get, to get this, but if we get into this later, but, but if we give off the vibe that we are not interested in those people as human beings that have deep value, but we're only interested in and trying to convince them that, that, that we're right and they're wrong. They're going to be angry, and I think that that's worth taking note of that.
0: Can I share a personal story yeah, here? Yeah, for sure. I identify with everything that you said there, and there was a time in my life when uh, if I was pretty sure the Jehovah's Witnesses were coming to the front porch, that I would either go to the middle of the house, and I wouldn't answer mm-hmm. the door, and I would just wait till they left. And there's something about that that made me feel guilty, but that's what I used to do. And I remember driving to work one morning, and I was listening to the radio, and there was a man on the radio who was talking about how he had come out of a kind of a cult experience mm-hmm. and how he had was, was now a Christian. And he said that when he was in that cult, doing that door-to-door kind of thing, he really sort of, I don't, I don't want to say enjoyed, but uh, he felt supported by the rejection that he would get there and would leave the house feeling like, see, that's we're so much better than they are.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And I thought to it was very convicting to me. I thought, that's me. I'm I'm mistreating these people and I gotta stop doing that. Yeah. And so it was a game changer for me. It didn't change my personality. It's not like I, I go, oh good, here come the Jehovah's Witnesses. I can't wait to talk to them. But when they come I'm headed in that direction. Yeah. And I've learned how to manage that situation a lot better than I used to. Yeah. So let's put uh, the unbelieving person, set the Jehovah's Witnesses aside here for a second. Let's put the unbelieving person uh, on the table here. And can you tell me how you think, specifically in the evangelism situation? Because yeah. there are people who hide from when the door to door salesman comes. Yeah what do those people feel like? Do you have any idea? You're just talking with somebody and pretty soon somehow the opportunity to share the gospel comes up and there you are in yeah. a sort of a, a situation that's not threatening. And now all of a sudden this guy's talking to me about God. Right. And, yeah. You know how that feels?
1: Yeah. I, again, I, if it, 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 it depends on the scenario, right? Um, if I don't know, if I don't know the person and all of a sudden they start bringing up things that are deeply personal I'm scared. I might be a little bit irritated. Maybe if they're very aggressive, I might get angry. Um, I know exactly how that feels. Now, alternatively, I do not mind at all. I have close friends who disagree with me about politics. And when they bring up their political beliefs, there might be some joking around, but I honestly don't mind them challenging me. And the reason why is, is because... I'm in a relationship with them. I know they care about me. We've had conversations like this before. This is, not, this is not the first conversation we've had about things that are important to us. If I know that somebody's interested in me and cares about me personally, I'm willing to listen to whatever they have to say if they care about me, even if it's something that I radically disagree with. And I think probably most of us are like this, that uh, dear friends or family members who disagree with us about anything we give them way more space to talk to us about what they deeply believe. And so what I take away from that is, is that times are different. Um, my grandparents uh, were Christians. My grandparents were big believers in evangelism. Um, when my grandparents were, uh, you know, walking around neighborhoods, knocking on doors and talking to people, Everybody had this shared cultural experience. Everybody believed in information and truth and that when people spoke, what they were saying was what they thought. And because of that, there's a lot more front porch conversations about all kinds of things. There was a lot more strangers bumping into each other, sitting next to each other in a restaurant and striking up a conversation that there is now. There's this common shared cultural uh, uh, foundation that people can stand on and kind of talk. And in that scenario, you know, talking to a stranger about politics, talking to a stranger about your religion or your, 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 uh, you know, your beliefs about Christianity, that was not out of line and not out of the ordinary, but those times have changed. Postmodernism has driven us inside of ourselves. We no longer are people who are interested in community. We don't even function in community. I don't even like answering the phone for Pete's sake. What that means is that I'm so I'm really turned inside myself. I'm way more comfortable with my own group, my own people. And what that means for evangelism is Christian evangelism in this context almost always is going to be way more successful if it's done in relationship. We have to build relationship first. We have to deeply care and love other people, even if they're going to end up disagreeing with us. They're not there as a, you know, they're not there as a prospect for the you know, for our church. They're there as another human being, and we've got to love them, whether they believe in Christianity or not. And I think that when we get into that sort of relationship, we'll find a lot more space to talk about our beliefs.
0: 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So can I use this to sort of reorient the approach here does this relieve me of getting in my soapbox going down on the stand or to stand in the corner and evangelize you know at the city park or to hold the John 316 sign up at the uh, on the 18th hole at the golf tournament and say well if somebody asks me then I will share but if I'm not asked I have no responsibility there
1: um, r- relieve you of responsibility. I, I <laughs> That's kind of scary to me because I, I don't want to be, you know, we need to, as Christians, we need to do what's right regardless of whether it's comfortable or not.
0: Well, if I'm like that postmodern person that you just talked about, I kind of like this. The burden is off.
1: Yeah. Well, so uh, the burden is not off to evangelize. The burden is off, I think, in our context to do a certain sort of evangelism.
0: Door to door?
1: Uh, I, I personally would not do door-to-door evangelism, and the reason why is because of texts like this. In, in a context, so the, the context of 1 Peter 3, and, and I'm glad you brought 1 Peter 3 up, is definitely suffering. It's definitely when Christians are persecuted. So, you know, go, going back to verse 13, Peter says, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor christ lord is holy always being prepared and then it goes into what you just said the context there is suffering and persecution look if, if in a context where christians are accepted and their viewpoint is accepted as legitimate and worthy of public discourse that's the kind of context that my grandparents could go door to door in we're no long we're no longer living in that context we're living in a context where christianity is ridiculed and marginalized and more than that, the notion that somebody should be allowed to speak their, quote, privately, unquote, held beliefs in public is marginalized. I think that what that I think that this is a good scenario that, that Peter's got set up here. When you're asked, now Peter's not saying that it's only when you're asked, but definitely when you're asked, be prepared to give a defense of what you believe. And then he goes on, this is really good, he goes on to say, um, but do it with gentleness and respect. Because he knows that in a context where Christianity is marginalized and even, you know, I I hesitate to say that Christians are persecuted now because honestly, we're not. We still have it pretty good Um, here in in the United States. Christians are are horribly persecuted all over the world, which gives me pause of using the word persecuted for what the context that you and I are living in now. But marginalized, I I can definitely say that's the case. Peter says, when you're asked, do it, but do it with gentleness and respect. And and more than that, he says, so in other words, we're not to be aggressive. We're not to be bullies about what we believe. We're to speak about what we believe, answering questions with gentleness and respect. But then he goes on to say this, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So his emphasis there is not even just on speaking the words, although that's super important his his emphasis also is on our good behavior our godly behavior and like jesus says in the sermon on the mount he tells his followers let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven and so you know the days are over when christianity is merely a logical construct where christianity is something you know it's a, it's a it's a system of thought and belief that when you share with people they get into it it used to be the case that 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 would be a good doorway into it, the world of thought and conversation uh, but now it's it's based much more on relationship it's based much more on our good deeds and our good works being a way to raise the questions that we can answer like you in 1st Peter 3:15 that you brought that we can answer about Jesus and what we believe with gentleness and respect
0: so let's have you take your pastoral collar off here for a second. Instead of being Pastor Aaron, just be Christian Aaron. So we can put you in the same context of people who are listening to us who are not pastors. They're just Christian people who find themselves talking to a friend or a family member who is having a difficult time and they are down and they need something. And so you happen to be the person who's discussing this with them on this occasion. And as they relate their problems, you could answer sociologically, you could answer psychologically, Mm -hmm. you could answer practically, all the things that we do when we deal with somebody who's having trouble. Or you could share the gospel. Have you ever found yourself in this situation? And if so, as Christian Aaron, how do you transition from those other approaches into a religious theological gospel approach?
1: Yeah, I think it's best to think of all those other approaches as not something different than Christianity. Um, the thing about Christianity is this, is it claims to be the story of everything. It claims to be the story of how the world was made, uh, what's wrong with the world, how the world is being fixed, and how God's going to actually repair everything at the end. And so one of the mistakes that we make as Westerners in Christianity, and this is definitely a... Um, you know one of the one of the hallmarks of of Western thought since the industrial revolution is expertise and specializing. And so we tend to think of Christianity as one of the tools that we have to grapple with the world. you know it's it's one of the apps on our phone, but Christianity insists that it's actually more like the operating system, and that all those other things, you know sociology, medicine. Uh, you know, relationship issues, all those other things fall underneath the category of the gospel. And so as Christians, we don't want to ever separate those things. The answers to people's problems are frequently sociological. They're frequently medical. They frequently need counseling. Uh, They frequently might need a good kick in the seat of the pants. I know I do. But in all those, they frequently, well, 100% of the time, they need a, a gentle arm around the shoulder that says, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I love you. But for a Christian, in every case, each one of those answers is going to be informed and motivated by the gospel. If Christ is the Lord of the universe, then medicine has a point. If Christ is the Lord of the universe, then getting counseling has a point. Relationships have a point. Sociology has a point, which is to fix the fallenness of our brokenness and sin. And so as a Christian, Allowing my Christianity, allowing who I know Jesus is as the Lord of the universe to inform every single part of my conversation is definitely a part, it's, it's the most important part of being a Christian in relationship with, with any, anybody else, especially unbelievers. Well, here's
0: the question I'd like to ask, build on your answer there. In Hebrews chapter four, it says, the word of God is living and active, Mm -hmm. sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I'm thinking, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm thinking that certainly if you're talking to a troubled person, they're can be psychological perspectives, sociological perspectives, relationship perspectives, all under the umbrella of the gospel that can be helpful. But I'm not sure that those things are living and active in the same sense as Hebrews 4.12 says. So that, this is my assumption, correct me if I'm wrong. So that if you share the word of God with this troubled person— you apply the word to their issues. There's something different about that. There's life in that sharing that the unbelieving psychologist, it just doesn't have. Am I headed in the ditch here or what do you think?
1: Uh, no, you're exactly right. I mean, the point I was trying to make though, is that God's word, which is living and active and sharper than intuitive sword, speaks to each one of these issues. It's not the case that, that that the Bible deals with our spiritual issues, and then counselors deal with our social issues, and medicine deals with our physical issues. Uh, even contemporary scientists are coming to understand that you cannot divide the human up in that way. The Bible deals with uh, the Bible deals with physical issues. There's a lot of people in the Bible who have uh, physical brokenness, uh, pain, disease, uh, you know, being crippled, you, you know. Uh, um, muscular skeletal issues. The Bible also deals with psychological issues. It it, it only takes a cursory glance at, at the Psalms to realize that many of the authors of the Psalms are experiencing deep clinical depression. I can't sleep at night, they say. My bed is filled with tears. My bones feel like they're melting. Anybody who's experienced depression knows exactly what the Psalmist is talking about. How are all these things dealt with? All these things are dealt with this way. There's a God who made the world and he designed it to be perfect and beautiful. Human sin has caused that to be broken. What that means is, is that depression is an alien. Cancer is an alien. Relationship brokenness is an alien. And the only way for those things to be fixed is through the gospel. Under the gospel, God provides for all different ways for this to be fixed. If Jesus is Lord of the universe. Trusting Jesus means that I go to the doctor, but I do it understanding that the doctor, even if she doesn't know that she's working on the side of God, is an agent of God for my good. I go and I get counseling because I know the Bible says that spiritual healing happens in community. This is all a part of the gospel. And this all comes from God's word. And so it should all be informed that way. And so every conversation that we have with other people about their brokenness, here's another way to say it. Everybody's telling a story, they believe in a meta narrative. They believe that they, they believe that something's wrong. I don't know of anybody who thinks that nothing's wrong with the world or with their own life. And they all have this vision of what's going to fix it. And the Christian story is what's wrong is human rebellion against God and what fixes it is God become a human, God becoming a human, setting up his kingdom. Dying on the cross and rising from the dead to give real, cosmic, spiritual, capital S, spiritual power and force to that story and to that reality, and then us living in light of that, us experiencing the power of that kingdom. So every, every conversation we have with people about their brokenness always has to come back to Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb, including, of course, counseling, uh, medical help, and all those sorts of things, community building a relationship repair, all those sorts of things, because none of those things are separate. They all go together. So let's say my friend
0: is struggling with something, and we've already said that there's a probability that they're uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. and now comes the moment where I think in my head, I need to share the gospel with this person. But I also know that this person, like you described before, is private, Keeps yeah. that stuff over, yeah. you know, in a different place, and I'm thinking this is probably going to be offensive. Yeah, is the gospel offensive?
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, there, there's, of course, it's offensive because the implication is is that you can't fix this on your own. So you want me to
0: offend my friend?
1: Well, you're not, you're not trying to offend. The gospel is what offends, not you. Remember, Peter says to do. Pretty sure what, I'm going to get the blame for it. Oh, that, that's okay. You can deal with that. But what you want to do is you want to put yourself in a position. Where you are answering questions like like Peter says with gentleness and meekness, so when they see your good works, they'll glorify God in, in the day of visitation so you may you may offend people, but if you do it in such a way that you, that your gentleness and meekness overwhelms them, at some point they'll have to say this person their goodness the, the, your gentleness and should lead them to glorify God. I'll just stick with the way that Peter talks about it. And so, I mean, there's different ways that you can do this. I mean, one way that you will offend people looks, so we have to be aware that in our culture, power play is the way that we've talked about this a lot in here. People see language as power play. When people hear other people talk, they just assume that the words that other people say are being used to control them. This is one of the, this is one of the, 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 uh, side effects of postmodernism. If we use our words not to control people, But to love people, we're going to make a whole lot more headway and we're going to avoid offending unnecessarily. One of the ways to do this, I'm going to just be practical for a second, is to tell your own story. Look, when when people come to me with relationship problems, okay, so I'm a pastor, so people come and see me with relationship problems. Even if I look, even if I wasn't a pastor, if I had friends, if I was friends with people, they would talk to me about their relationship problems. And we should talk about this in a second, too. Sidebar. Christians are too frequently not friends with unbelievers. And so when they do evangelism, it's hit and run raids. You know, that they go out there and they see somebody they don't know and they like hit them with some gospel. And here's the stranger walking up to you from the unbelievers' perspective. Here's the stranger walking up to you, saying some words about some stuff you don't believe, and all they see is power play. Instead of being involved deeply in relationship with people and praying that God would bring about those conversations. When those conversations happen, let me get back to my original point. When those conversations happen, when people come to me with their relationship problems and they're like, you know, my marriage is falling apart and I'm just broken about this. I I, I just feel lost. I'm at sea. I don't know which way to turn. My head is spinning. Instead of saying, well, you know what you need to do? You need to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. That's what's wrong. Instead of saying that, which is true, but deeply offensive, because it instantly turns the conversation in one of openness and looking for help to power play. You're wrong. I'm right. You should think like I think. Instead of doing that, what I do instead is I pray like, God, help me to talk. Help me to listen. Help me to speak your words. Help me to hear their words. And help me to love them in this instance and my go-to move as a christian friend is to tell my own story to say you know what you're not the only person i got to tell you like i've gone through the same thing and i know that it's horrible and what happened with me is that like i just totally was trashed my marriage and i mistreated my wife and honestly i really i can't help you here i'm i'm I've screwed up a marriage before. I don't know. like I don't really have any tools. What I can tell you, though, is that my wife, who was a devout Christian at the time, like just continued to love me and sacrifice herself for me. She didn't preach at me. She didn't boss me. She didn't lay down ultimatums. She just continued to love me. And I'm just telling you, man, that just wore me down. At some point, I just couldn't go any farther. So what I'm doing is is I'm telling my story. But I'm not making myself the right guy or the good guy. I'm making Jesus through my wife, the right guy and the good guy. And what that does is it creates, a, I'm not bossing them around. I'm not telling them what to do. What I'm doing is I'm sharing the gospel and I'm letting them know what truth is, that really relationship brokenness can be healed by Jesus and the gospel. But I'm doing it in a way that A, doesn't put pressure on them to say, I have to agree with you if, I, if, if, if this is going to work out Right. But also, it gives space to the Holy Spirit to do his job. I can't convince anybody to become a Christian. The Bible's clear about this. And this is one of my problems with a lot of, you know, you mentioned earlier, evangelism tools and seminars and YouTube videos on how to do this, is it assumes that there's things that we can say or do that are going to, like, turn the trick. But actually, the Bible's very, very clear that repentance, Acts 2, Acts 5, 2 Timothy 2, Repentance is a gift given by God. We know from Ephesians 2 that faith is a gift given by God. I can't do it. I can't do that. And so all I do is I tell my story with Jesus as the hero and myself as the bad guy and pray that the Holy Spirit would use that gospel, the news, the good news that because of his death and resurrection, Jesus is now Lord of the universe and can fix all problems and is determined to fix all problems, that the Holy Spirit would use that to transform their life. That's all I can do.
0: We have just a few minutes remaining here. Let's say that you have a, a good friend, a close friend. Yeah. Who has received the news that his illness is terminal. Yeah. You don't know if he's a Christian or not. I guess you would say, well, if he were my good friend, I would know that, but um, just work with me here. But you'd like to know that he's heard the message of salvation in Jesus, even though you don't. It's a seriously sensitive situation. Yeah. Offending him now would seem to be the worst possible mistake you could make, but maybe not as bad as keeping the good news from him. How do you handle that?
1: If somebody, and so um, I, I probably have more experience this than, uh, of this than most of our listeners, because as a pastor, I end up you know being in a lot of deathbeds and, and you know, crisis situations like that. And uh, what you'll find is that people are more uh, open to... Hearing stuff from people, uh, other people at that time. Now, if somebody is, if somebody is not, if somebody doesn't want to hear my story of how Jesus has saved me and forgiven me, I, I'm, I'm not going to force it on them. I'm not going to say, "Hey, you know." But I also, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm not going to force it on them. But I am going to go in knowing that time is of the essence, and that I do want to, I, I do want to tell this person how much God loves them in Jesus. Some of us are uh, studying um, C.S. Lewis' really, really terrific work of fiction, The Great Divorce, on Wednesday evenings at at my church, and uh, we just read about, um, uh, not to go into that story too much, but somebody's trying to evangelize somebody else, that they're actually, uh, it's fiction, they're in heaven, and uh, unbelievers have a chance to choose heaven if they'd like, uh, somebody from heaven, a citizen of heaven, an old friend of theirs comes to greet them. And in the chapter that we just read, um, a citizen of heaven comes to greet an old pastor friend of his who is an unbeliever who doesn't believe in Jesus, but he's had a career in the church. And he's trying to bring up all these philosophical arguments and you know why I have problems with you know, uh, the story of the gospel. And he's trying to engage the citizen of heaven in this conversation. And the citizen, he's, at one point he says, I'm not sure what point you're trying to make. He says to the, the the unbeliever says to the citizen of heaven. And because time is of the essence, the citizen of heaven says to him, I'm actually not trying to make a point at all here. I need you to repent and believe in Jesus. And sometimes when time is of the essence, it just has to get boiled down to that is that God loves you. Jesus died to rescue you from this, this situation that you're in death. Jesus died to rescue from this. Do you want to live forever? Do you want the guarantee that your body will be completely healed? The only way that I can guarantee that to you is by introducing you to Jesus, who died and rose from the dead so that you could die and rise from the dead too someday. And if somebody's deeply offended by that and says, I do not want to listen to that, I'll say, okay, that's out of my control. I can't control their heart. But if somebody's a little bit interested, I'm going to do that, again, with gentleness and with meekness, but I am going to share the gospel with them.
0: And if somebody says, I don't want to hear that, and you say, okay do you feel bad? Do you feel any, do you feel a sense of guilt? Oh, I left an offense and I didn't, I made it worse and
1: I didn't clean it up. And no, uh, nobody should feel guilt about evangelism. Uh, Evangelism. But we do. I know because we have been led in American Christianity by a school of thought that's you know, It kind of grew up around the Reformation, but it was more popularized in our country and in England at the end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, revivalism that led by – I think you've brought up in here before, uh, Charles Finney – led by evangelists like Charles Finney, which says – salvation, people are just, they they can make the choice themselves to choose Jesus. All you have to do is give them the right arguments and say the right phrases and do the right emotional manipulation. It'll happen. And then when it doesn't happen, we feel guilt because we've been told it's up to you to convince them to become Christians. And when they don't, it's our fault. And what the Bible says instead is that salvation is a gift of God. Faith and repentance are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to enlighten the eyes of blind people, to bring back to life those who are spiritually dead. It's our responsibility to just live and speak the gospel in that context. And who comes to faith, who believes that message, that's God's business, that we should never feel guilt for evangelism because that's God's business.
0: Well, that's our conversation on evangelism. And if you were a little uncomfortable when we started, our prayer yeah. is that you're a little less uncomfortable
1: yeah.
0: now as we end our program. Amen. Thanks for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God with Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. If you'd like to express your opinion on the show, you'll find a comment option at the bottom of the episode page. And if you enjoyed this edition of Craving Answers, Craving God, please tell your friends about us. I'm Chuck Rather.